Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Amen. I'm so excited to be here with you today. And what a great day to be here. Uh, all these baby dedications that are going to happen <clears throat> afterward. And that is an exciting time. That is a very biblical thing you're doing. If you're part of that and you're a family who's dedicating a child, you know, you're aligning with Scripture. Uh, scripture doesn't teach that little babies are baptized because only disciples, only followers of Jesus are to be baptized. And so what we believe is that children can be dedicated to the Lord and families uh, can uh, do everything that's in their power and churches can do everything that's in their power to see that that little baby boy or baby girl will one day place their saving trust in Jesus Christ. So it's a it's an awesome date that we're a part of here. And I'm, I'm so glad for all the things, the shoeboxes. Uh, our church has also been involved in Samaritan's Purse. So it's so cool to see how we're partnering together on all these things. Uh, just quick word of introduction. My name is Tom Richter. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would like that chance uh, I am a, a longtime friend of City on a Hill Community Church, and the pastors here have invited me to come and speak uh, as part of their teaching rotation throughout the year, and so it is a delight to be here. I am a pastor of a church in Jamaica, Queens, and our services are in the evening time. We have a 4.15 service and a 6 o'clock p.m. service. The 4.15 is our early riser service, and uh, a lot of college students, and it really is, in fact, their early rising service and uh, 6 p.m. For those of you who've been praying for us, quick update, the two services have been going really well. And so I appreciate everybody's prayers and would uh, covet those prayers uh, over at uh, New Hope Church in Queens. I want to be preaching from the book of John today. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to John. I'm also going to put a verse up here on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible or can't turn there fast enough... In just a moment, I'm going to be putting up a scripture and we can follow along right here on the screen. I call this week and uh, God willing, I'll be here next Sunday as well. I'm also going to be in the book of John. So it's a little two part mini series. So if you're just here for the baby dedication and eh, I don't know, whatever. Hey, come back next week. There won't be a baby dedication, but there'll be the exciting conclusion of this little John mini series. So I want you to come back and I call it John come alive. And uh, in, in our church, full disclosure, in our church, I'm taking our people through the book of John for the entire fall season. So we started at the end of September and we're going to go all the way through December reading the book of John and uh, doing our Bible studies around the book of John. And each week I've been preaching from the book of John and I call the series come alive for this reason. It's something we all feel but wouldn't you agree, there's a difference between living and living, isn't there? Like, you ever talk to people on Monday morning? Hey, how you doing? What do they say? I'm here. What do they mean by that? I got a pulse. What do you want? Okay? That's it. That is bios. That is existing. And there's a Greek word bios, but there's also a Greek word zoe. You ever met a kid named Zoe? What a great name. Z-O-E. It means life. Especially if little Zoe is in fact lively. It's a great name. And that's what we want, right? Living. One of my favorite theologians is country western star Alan Jackson. <clears throat> and he says in one of his songs, there's a difference. Well, we would say there's a difference between, but he's a country music star. So he says, there's a difference between living and living well. And that's all I want to get at. 
That's all I want to show you. Have you considered that difference between living and living well? Now, what is living for you? How would you define living? I heard Tim Keller tell a story once about his own kid, and it reminded me of mine. I have a four-year-old daughter, Katie, and we do a lot of traveling on our family. Our, our parents aren't here locally, and some of you who think, man, I live so close to my parents. I know, but it's cool uh, because we have to travel all the time, and you don't even buy a ticket for a kid till they're two. They can sit on the lap, and so she's Four, and I was just looking the other day, we got an email. She has 12,700 frequent flyer miles with Delta. Like it's something like, like Katie and the businessmen are upgraded to first class and we're all back here. Anyway, uh, so anyway, she's flown a lot. And anybody who's a parent who knows, when you fly, right, your goal is survival, right? I mean, just anything that you would never allow on land, all rules are off up there. You're just like, please don't have a meltdown while we're up here in the air. So things you would never allow, right? Candy? Sure, if it keeps you quiet, whatever. Watch the iPad, whatever. It's a little violent. Who cares? Just like stay, you know, don't have a meltdown, anything. Stuff you would never allow. And for Katie, she doesn't drink a lot of soda, but when you fly, you're allowed to get all the free soda you can drink, right? Because it keeps them quiet. So Carson's Carson's passed out, you know, he's asleep on mom, and there's uh, Katie, and she's drinking all the soda, and she's got the iPad, she's got the little Disney headphones plugged into the iPad, her seat is kicked back, she's drinking like her third free Coke, you know, and she's looking out the window as we crest 30,000 feet, she looks at me, and she says, Dad, this is living, you know, and I think... She did not mean I was an inorganic mass of tissue before this moment, right? She was totally alive. I know it. But there's something that when everything was coming together for her, it was like, now this is living. Here's what I want to know. Are you there? And if not, how do you get that on a daily basis? That's what I want. I don't want I'm here. I want this is living. Now, we laugh because a four-year-old defines living when uh she gets all the free soda she can drink and she gets to watch ipad okay that's living and we laugh at that we scoff at that but really what what's your definition is it any that is it really that more sophisticated uh uh there are some people who after that perfect day on the golf course that's it that that's living you know there are some people who would take it a little more a little a little more advanced a little more sophisticated they would say if i could just i know college students if i could just get that degree I know some people, if I could just get married, if I could have that perfect relationship, or if I could just get out of the relationship I'm in, or if I could just have enough money, oh, that's one, if I could, oh, listen, if I could just hit that magic number I need in the bank, then I'd be set. I could kick back like that little four-year-old and be like, this is living. The trouble, of course, and maybe I didn't pick yours, you know, but we all have that thing. The trouble is... Uh, that some of these things prove to be pretty, pretty lousy saviors. You know, they're almost like counterfeit gods. They're, in fact, sometimes they're, they're, they seem harmless. But, but, but for many of us, we're looking for things that are going to, ah, oh, now I'm living, that are, in fact, going to lead to death. They're going to lead to the opposite of what we want. A couple examples come to mind, but uh, uh, one most recently, the, the, you know, this summer, there's these uh, music festivals, right? Bonnaroo and all these kind of wild music festivals and all these indie bands. And like, well, I only listen to bands that haven't heard of themselves, you know, like these, whatever. Anyways, all these hipsters get together and, 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 and there's this, uh, uh, I was watching the six o'clock news and they were talking about this new drug. And, and the point they were making was not that there's a drug at a music festival, but that, the, but the, but the, 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 everybody was so casual about it. And what doctors were saying is, 
This drug will kill you. People are dying. And everybody's chill about it. And the, the, the nickname of the drug is Molly. And it's sort of like this uh, ecstasy you can take and everything. And, and, and the idea is you pop this drug Molly at these music festivals and your heart begins to beat faster along with the music and you experience all this stuff. And the doctors are saying, stop talking about this like it's okay. This will kill you, right? And rappers were rapping about it. People on stage were like, anybody seen Molly? And they were interviewing. So the 6 o'clock news goes and they interview these people. And they're like, well, you know, what's the deal on this? And over and over again, you know what they say? Like the, the reporter would say, so what do you make of the five people who've died and they had to shut this festival down because of it uh, you know so anyway over and over again the people would say the same thing why do you do it why would you pop this drug it's so dangerous he said well uh you don't understand man when i take this it <clears throat> makes me makes me come alive makes me come alive now what's inside that person that makes them want to come alive is not what's wrong with them that's in all of us but they're looking to do it in something that isn't it ironic the thing they're looking to make them come alive could kill them and it doesn't have to be that, exp- you know, it doesn't have to be that, that's such an extreme example. What about people who, that rush of viewing explicit material that makes you feel alive? It, it could kill us. That, that rush we get from taking comfort in substances, drugs, alcohol, or, or, or even food, where we, where we misuse God's good gifts, that we, it makes us feel alive, but it could kill us. What about, what about people who say, well, I, I, if I could just get that approval, if I could just be attractive to him or to her, then I could, you know, then I, it's like I would feel secure, I would feel safe, I would come alive. But in the end, we, we give up part of ourselves to do it. Now, the Bible doesn't say that you're wrong for feeling there's a difference between just sort of existing and coming alive. And you're not wrong for wanting to do it. But the Bible is very clear about uh, what this looks like, how you get it. And if you think, man, this is like, you know, I just rolled up here on a Sunday morning. You're talking about like, what's the key to life? What's the meaning of life? That's totally what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's as good a Sunday as any. You know, like if you can't talk about the meaning of life at church... So anyway, uh, when we come to the Bible, the, Bi- John, the book of John is exactly what he does. He, uh, and I'm not going to start in the book of John in John chapter 1. I'm going to start with his thesis statement, with his purpose statement, because he totally does. He rolls up his sleeves at this one point in the book of John toward the end, and he goes, here's why I wrote the whole book. Here's why I wrote the book of John. Th- this is how you get life. And it's in John chapter 20, verse 31. This, this is it. I wrote all these stories of Jesus. I talked about his miracles. I showed you his signs. Here's why I wrote the book of John. And I'll put it up here on the screen too. But I must warn you. Uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the verse backwards. Let me explain what I mean. The whole verse in John chapter 20, verse, you know, starting 30, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, you may think this is a a crazy way to preach this sermon, but I'm actually going to start at the end of this verse. I'm going to start with the end in mind, and I'm going to do that so that nobody gets confused about where we're going. I am going, John is going to show you, here's how to have life. And here's where he's going to end. He's going to say, believing, it's by believing that you may have life in his name. You want to know the meaning of life? You want to know what it all comes down to? You want to know how to get that life beyond just existing? There it is. It's by believing. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, well, what does he mean by believing then? I, I highlighted that word believing. Does that mean just believing anything? No, 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 no. Because some people would say, oh, yeah, I know, I know where you're going with this. It's just like anything, man. As long as, you, as long as you're sincere in your faith, whatever religion you pick, as long as you're sincere, you're good to go. No. Listen, I get you can be sincere, but won't you agree with me? You can be sincerely wrong. If you don't believe me, just go driving with someone who won't stop for directions. 
Some of you are that person, right? I've been there. Yeah, yeah. You're totally sincere. You're adamant. You're, in fact, convincing your navigator. Don't use that British voice with me. I'm right. You know, right? But you, you are, in fact, sincere. You're totally sincere in your faith, but you're sincerely wrong. And so the Bible says uh, not just believing sort of, you know, just believing in general, but believing, and, and by believing, you may have life in his name. The Bible's going to say in the name of Jesus that, that well, let's get to it. Uh, let's back up. So, but that's where we're going. You want to know how to get life? Life only comes in his name. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Only in the name of Jesus. By believing you may have life in his name. So l- let's back up. I'll show you, show you this. Okay. Believing what? What is the content of our faith? This. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing that, that is the content of our faith. That Jesus of Nazareth, this, this guy who was born, born in a manger, born in, Na- in Bethlehem, grew up in, in Nazareth, right? You know that story. That that guy, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, believing in him, that's how you get that life. Life in his name. Uh, that, that's a big statement. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. In fact, if you're ever talking to somebody and they're like, listen, I want to know everything about Christianity but I've really only got time for like 10 or 12 words. That would be a weird conversation, first of all. But if that ever happens, you could do a lot worse than John 20. You could do a lot worse than that right there. You only got time for 12 words? Here it is. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. You could do a lot worse ways of summing up the entire anchor, the cornerstone of the gospel. There's certainly not a lot more than that, but there's not less than that. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay, now, now let's break this down. Because some of us understand these terms. Others of us may not fully appreciate why, these, why you need that. What in the world does the fact that Jesus, this guy who lived, whatever you believe about him, lived so long ago, that Jesus is the Messiah, what does him being the Messiah, the Son of God, have to do with us getting this life, access to this real abundant life? Well, remember, when John wrote his gospel, he was writing to an audience that was composed of both Jews and Gentiles. John himself was a Jew. He was writing Jews, but he was also writing to Gentiles, people who wouldn't have grown up religiously. They wouldn't have uh, grown up in Judaism. Now, the Jewish readers and Jewish members of his audience would have immediately caught on to that word Messiah. Think of it this way. That, that would have, and it's like John is saying a news flash. He's here, Messiah. Because uh, uh, the Jewish people were on like Messiah watch. I mean, follow me all the way from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1, God creates everything, right? Genesis 3, what happens? The fall of man. Adam and Eve, sin, sin enters the world. And all, you got, oh, you got prophets, you got priests, you got kings. None of it really works. I mean, you know, God's grace is all through the Old Testament. But in the end, everybody's looking forward. There's only one thing that's going to solve this problem. There's only one thing that's going to deal with this mess we're in. What we need, and the Jewish people knew it, and they're, they're studying their scrolls. They're looking for any sign that they can, is Messiah. When Messiah comes, then, oh, then, then he can sort this stuff out. Things are not going to get better. But if Messiah would just appear over and over in the Old Testament, there are these awesome promises that when Messiah comes, if we could just figure out who he is, if we could find him, if we, if we ever found out that he came, oh, think about the promises in the Old Testament. Some of you need healing, right? Some of you are here and you'd say, man, the biggest need in my life, honestly, is physical healing. It was a battle just to get here. My body hurts so bad, this chronic pain, this all this stuff. But others would say, no, 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 we don't need individual healing. We need like societal healing. We need corporate healing. To which I would say, 
yes to both. Like, yes, uh, societies are made up of individuals. And so as individuals begin to experience health and wholeness, societies can experience health and wholeness. As systemic societies begin in systemic ways becoming more healthy, then individuals in those societies will benefit. So I think it's, it's, it's both and. Fine. Messiah, one of the promises, if you think about uh, Malachi chapter 4, and I'm aware I'm on Long Island, so it may be Malachi chapter 4. But either, either way, it's fine. The Italian prophet. Either way, uh, uh, in the end of uh, Malachi, they're talking about the Messianic age. It's just like, what's life going to be like when Messiah finally comes? And listen to the, I mean, this beautiful passage, and, and he's talking about John the Baptist is going to come before. He's going to, like, the people who believe are going to leap like calves freed from their stall. Like, we're, we're going to be like joyous baby cows, like trampling on the wicked. It's a weird analogy. But anyway, awesome, full of joy. Like, how joyous does it have to be for a cow to get airtime? That's joy. You know what I mean? If he had said, like, a prancing fawn, you'd be like, yeah, but they're all, you know, little bunnies. They're just hyper. They're not joyous. But if a cow is going to get up off the ground, that's joy. It's only for me. Fine. No, I move right on. No problem. Just trying to make a point. It's a lot of joy. Cows are heavy. Uh, you, that's, that's all right. Uh, we move on. But for those who fear my name, listen to what he says. The son of righteousness will rise. In other words, Messiah will come. And here's the promise. And you know this verse maybe. The son of righteousness will rise with all the things he could have carried in his wings. The son of righteousness will rise with judgment in his wings. No, that's not what it says. The son of righteousness will rise with condemnation. Nope, not what he says. The son of righteousness will rise with another good book for us to read and learn and put into our life. No. Of all the things he said, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Messiah comes. But there's also a spiritual healing. Some people say, I don't need healing just for my body. I need healing for whatever's going on in my heart and my mind. Yes, Messiah does that too. Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore the sins of many, right? And by his stripes, we are, what's the word? Healed. Exactly. Over and over again, Messiah, oh man, listen, if we could find out who Messiah is, he will bring healing. You may not have even known that you wanted Messiah so bad, but you do. Uh, a homeland, right? They're always, uh, the Israelite people, they're always being kicked out of their homeland. They're in exile here, they're, they're in captivity here. But my, Isaiah 2 talks about this, Micah 4 talks about this, that one day in the Messianic age, one day, it's like, like, like we'll be able to, from the north, south, east, the west, there'll be a home, a home for the people. Everybody will be able to return to the mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion. Messiah can do that he can take people who feel displaced from god and from others and bring them home what about justice uh the israelite people are looking around going there's no justice in the world and we're not that different i mean i could try to convince you this using a bunch of theological rhetoric or just like watch the six o'clock news and get done with it and go what does justice look like i mean really you know i remember a few months ago watching the stuff on syria going i i wouldn't i don't want to be the president of the united states like what do you what do you do? What is a just solution to the mess going on in Syria? Do you get involved? Do you use military might? Do you not use military might? Do you let, like what what would justice look like? All the way from these big issues, all the way down to these simple things, like 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 in the sense of they don't affect nations, but they by one individual, a whole nation is affected. I give you an example: Trayvon Martin. Right? What does justice look like? Because the ripples from that ripple out throughout a whole nation, and I'm sitting here going, I don't I don't know. Why? Because I'm not God, but God knows. Like, God sees every side of every issue. He knows exactly what justice would look like. Perfect 
justice. Even when I watch the news and go, all I can do is pray because I, I can never sort out this mess, right? Like if you watch the interviews on the street about the government shutdown, have you watched the interviews? You know, you know what the people on the street are saying. Republicans are blaming Democrats. Democrats blame Republicans. You know, you know what the people on the street, street are saying. Kick them all out, right? What's their point? Well, their point is there's clearly, who knows where we're at? Who knows what's right? The whole system is broken. What hope could we possibly have? Messiah, that's who. See, Messiah, he could unravel the whole thing, right? Now, that, right, right, right. The same frustration the Israelite people felt, the same frustration we feel. We're going, what we need is Messiah. To sum it all up, to sum it all up, especially justice to the poor. Man, a bruised reed, he won't break. What does he say? A, a, a smoldering wick, he won't snuff out. You know, uh, to sum it all up is this uh, Hebrew word. What Messiah can bring, he can usher in this thing called shalom. Now listen, shalom simply means peace, but we use peace very differently in our culture. You know, we're like, peace, I'm out, right? Like, no, they didn't, they, no, no Israelite ever said, shalom, I'm out. Like, that never, <clears throat> never happened. <laughs> Instead, uh, the word shalom, imagine for a moment if you had shalom in your life. Picture your life with nothing missing, nothing broken. Perfect peace, perfect wholeness, shalom. That's what Messiah promises. I mean, that, that's what Messiah could bring. Uh, I, I'll give you two examples. I could have picked a gazillion, but let me give you two of my favorites. One is Isaiah 2, I think. Yeah, I don't want to misquote that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's in two places. Isaiah 2 and Micah 4, both places. He says this. He says, uh, in the Mesianic age, you can take your swords. They didn't have guns and nuclear weapons and all that stuff back then. They had swords. Swords were the weapon of fighting. Here's what he says. You can take all those swords. Ready? And you can just melt them down and beat them into plowshares. Here's what he's saying. When Messiah comes, there's so much shalom, you don't need soldiers anymore. Just gardeners. You ever met a gardener? They are the most peaceful people in the world. Because they're always armed. I mean, you think about it. They're always holding like a hoe or a tractor or a blade. I mean, they could kill you. But here's the thing gardeners do. Here's the thing gardeners do. Think about, think about it. Here's what a gardener does. Here's what a gardener does. They only do two things. They only do two things. They either grow something for the sheer beauty of it, a flower, right? Or they grow something because it can feed a person, a potato, right? Think about that. There's so much shalom that all you have to do is take what God has given you in nature and make something of beauty or of use to another person with it. Go be a gardener. And he's saying, you can do that. All, everybody, we're all fighting. You don't have to do that anymore. A world full of gardeners, which, to which God's like, that's why when I created the world, I put the humans in a... Right? Like, come on! How, is, how are you not seeing this? Beat your... Swords into plowshares. Uh, I grew up around gardeners, and I, I know a bunch of gardeners, and I just think, man, these, these people get it. But what if your hands are never in the dirt? That's okay. Many of you garden, you don't know about it. You don't think about it. But, like, okay, some of you are artists. You paint things because they're beautiful, or you paint a wall because it's practical and it helps us, right? Uh, 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 you're, it's a, you're gardening. Some of you are, you're not a gardener in the dirt, but you're, you, 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 you make something to feed people. You're a chef. So if this verse were for you, it would say, take that sword and beat it into a chef's knife. And instead of using it as a weapon, use it as a 
weapon of deliciousness or whatever, right? I mean, you, you, you would word it better, but you get my point. What if you're an engineer, builds a bridge that helps people get where they need to go to feed their family for work? You get what I'm saying? Make something of this world from swords to gardeners. And the, uh, perhaps my favorite is um, there is, uh, is in, uh, this one's in uh, uh, Malachi 4 also. It is possible. I've never really thought this. It, I don't know if I could defend this statement if I thought about it long enough. But I, w- I will say it is possible that the most confusing, perplexing, and difficult relationship in all the world is between a father and his children. And here's how I know that. Just in my church, if you just start scratching at that topic just a little bit, you get so many immediate and visceral reactions as people think about their own relationships with their father that I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm on to something, you see. Uh, and you may have had a really good father or a really bad father, but, but that's a, that's a, that is just a, that's, I am one now and I get it. That's, okay, it's complex, perplexing. Uh, here's what he says in Malachi 4. The shalom is so great. Here's the promise. He will, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. For some of you, that's, that's the whole sermon you need to hear. You're saying, if that happened in my family, it would take God Almighty to do that. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, that's the kind of shalom Messiah can bring on a global scale and even on little children and their fathers. Uh, so Messiah sounds, listen, Messiah is starting to sound pretty good. I will highlight it using this laser pointer. Messiah sounds pretty good. Man, if we could find Messiah, A, if we could figure out who he was, and on top of that, if he, could, if he would like even want anything to do with us, because that's so good, believe me, I don't know why he would want to get involved in my life, but if he wanted us and we could find out who he was... That would be awesome. And not only that, I mean, it's no wonder the entire liturgy of the Jews is centered around waiting on this Messiah. It's no wonder why when John the Baptist started preaching, the first thing that happened, those Pharisees came out to investigate him. Hey, you the Messiah? What's up? Why? Because they, they had Messiah radar on like high alert, always looking for Messiah, okay? And if they could find him, this would be it. On top of that, Messiah has these, the, the Messiah, the Son of God. That name goes together all the time in the Gospels. We see the Jews going, they're asking him, uh, 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 like uh, the high priest asked Jesus at his trial tell us the truth are you the messiah the son of god uh uh, when peter remember when jesus is like hey who do people say that i am and they give a bunch of answers peter goes we know who you are you're the one from god you're the messiah the son of the living god and he's like yep flesh and blood didn't tell you that that had to be revealed from above Uh, so over and over it's not just messiah it's the son of god here's why that's so important here's why that's so important uh okay the world is so messed up that only god could fix it So we need God to come and fix it. But here's the problem. God has the power to fix it. But he has so much power that if he ever entered our world to roll up his sleeves and do the fixing, we would all be burned up in the consuming fire of his holiness. See the problem? Right? It's like, man, how could I heat my home for free? Here, take this bar of enriched uranium. By the way, it will kill you and your whole town. Well, huh. Like, you know, like, on the one hand, we only God has the power to actually do it. On the other hand, if God came and did it, we would all die. So you think, well, let's go the other way. Well, then what we need is 
just a man, a human being. See, a human being can get down on our level. You know, he's one of us. He's with the people. Nobody's going to die in front of the consuming fire of a human being. The trouble is, we've had human beings, and their help in terms of fixing the world hadn't worked. Even the greatest of human beings can't seem to get it done. Well, then we're back to needing God. But if we get God, he'll burn us up in his holiness. If we get a human being, he is impotent to solve the problems of the world. So the only solution would be somehow you would have to have this God-man. But where would we ever find that? Like, how could you possibly have someone who is fully God and fully man? That would be the solution we need. But who can find that? Right? Well, so John says, good news perfect you can you can translate this you can translate john 20 31 from the greek and be perfectly accurate to say it this way hey that messiah oh you mean the one that'll bring shalom mm-hmm. oh you mean the one that like we desperately need to fix things mm-hmm. you know the one that we've been like searching our whole life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the son of god you mean the one who has enough power to actually get it done because he has divine power mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the messiah the son of god <clears throat> it's none other than Jesus, we found him. We found him. He's here. He loves you. He he actually wants to get involved in your life. He's willing to seek and to save all who are lost. And John says that like, uh, and we will go to our graves preaching this. This is is why I wrote the book of John. Why it's being written, why, why it is translated all around the world in languages I will never read. There are still people who read the book of John and you are either convinced of that or you're not. But, That's the good news. That's the royal announcement that your faith in Jesus, by believing in that, let's go back to our our verse, that by believing in that, that That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that's the content of our faith. Now here's the, 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 the reality of our faith or the action of our faith or something like that. Now, by believing in his name means, okay, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he's the Son of God, everybody in here, everybody, everybody, everybody is putting their whole faith and trust. You are putting your whole life in something or someone. Okay? Now, this may be a relationship. This may be a bank account. This may be your own charisma, your charm. If you're young, this is like your youth and beauty. If you're old, this is your wisdom and experience, you know, and uh, 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 whatever. You, I'll be okay because I've still got this. The trouble is all this stuff ends at death. Like, what do you got then? You can't take your money with you. You can't take your youth and experience with you. What do you have? And so these things turn out to be, when we start to look, man, maybe this isn't the best place to put my trust and my faith. And so you look for other places. What John is saying when he says believe, he doesn't just mean intellectually, yes, I believe that Jesus, okay, fine, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. It has nothing to do with my life. No, no, this is different. This means, God, when I stand before you one day, first of all, I believe that I will face judgment. Secondly, I believe you, you created me in your image, that you love me. But I also believe, much to my shame, that I've taken that image of God and I've, I've, uh, I've perverted it. I've twisted it through sin and selfishness. I've turned inward on self. And I haven't looked toward you. I haven't followed your commands. And I believe that your standard for heaven is not be really, really good. Your standard is perfect righteousness. And so I'm not going to get it on my own. But because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, he's Messiah, son of God. And that he's the perfect lamb. He stretched out his arms on that Roman cross. Here's what happened. I believe that all of the sin and the punishment and the wrath for sin that we all deserve, that was poured out on Jesus. And in exchange... God takes Jesus' perfect life, his perfect righteousness. He lived the life I should have lived, but I didn't. But then he died the death I should have died, but I don't have to because he took that righteousness of Christ and he imputed it to me. 
He declared me righteous. And by faith, I say, God, when I stand before you, I don't want to say, hey, God, I was a good person. You should let me in. And God's going to say, well, how good is good enough? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? Uh, 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 instead, I don't, my only defense before you, Lord, is for Jesus to show up for me and say, this one is mine. Like, you know what we used to say down south? All your eggs are in one basket. And they used to mean, like, don't put all your hope in one thing. Diversify, you know? Uh, uh, but this is it. When it comes to salvation, all my eggs are in one basket. It's Jesus or nothing. I have no backup plan. I will spend eternity in heaven with God because of what Jesus has done for me, and he'll stand up for me. And I trust him. That's called, like, saving trust, right? I, I just trust that that will happen. Or I will split hell wide open if I go in there going, well, but I was a church member, or my parents were a, a Christian, or any, nothing else. But that's it. That's what he means by believe. And by believing, you can have life in his name. And not just any life, but that eternal life. And so the very last thing to say is, uh, how do you get this? Okay, like let's say, let's say you're convinced. Okay, Tom, Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the Son of God. And by believing, I, I get that, that, that by believing you have life in his name. But how do I know? Like how do I know Jesus is the Messiah? How do I know that he's the Son of God? And you could ask that question if you're not a believer. Or you could even ask that question if you are a believer in this sense. If it's like, I have faith, but I need help in my faith. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm hitting a wall. I need that extra boost uh how do i know that jesus is the messiah the son of god and by believing you may have life in his name and he's like that's why i wrote the book he says these signs are written so you may believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and by believing you may have life in his name uh i'm uh old old enough to remember a time life series of books where they wanted to sell the books but they realized if they gave away all the information in the books that you wanted to hear no one would buy the books and so their advertising campaign very clever do you remember this one they would say well how do i know this stuff and they'd be like read the book and then a few minutes later be like well how do i know these ancient mysteries that the aliens built the crop circle it's in the read the book and like over and over for like 30 minutes read the book and apparently i'm the only one who ever saw that commercial (laughs) Any, any, just say you remember it, even if you didn't. Help me out here. Yeah. Uh, read the book. That's what John's saying. You want to believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? Read the book. I wrote these signs. There are seven signs. You know, a wedding at Cana, healing the, the, the guy at the pool of Bethsaida, walking on water, feeding the 5,000, um, leaving out some. And then and, and John, it gets to the end. Uh, uh, Jesus raises Lazarus in John 11, back from the dead. And he's like, these signs, when you look at that, you will believe that Jesus. Now, not everybody believes because the people who should have believed it, that's the whole first part of the book of John. It's like over and over. He's like, look at these signs. And they're like, I don't know, you know, uh, 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 like when he raises Lazarus from the dead, dude is dead four days. Jesus comes up to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come on, get out. Let's go. Lazarus, dead man gets up, walks out of the tomb and says, many put their faith in him. But some doubted. Talk about being hard to please. <laughs> like, what do you want to do? What, what do you want? Right. And then the seven days, seven days of creation, seven signs, the eighth sign, the new creation, the eighth sign, the resurrection. And John just finished this whole chapter on Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive. And by believing in that, you may have life in his name. Uh, the, the, the whole verse says, look, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I love that. Like, you do realize I did not have enough time or paper to write down all the stuff he did. But what I wrote is enough. It's enough. Like, some people say, I don't know. Can we trust this book? You've got everything you need. It's enough. 
These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Here's the deal. If you are not a believer, you say, I don't, I don't even know if I believe in this stuff. I'm a skeptic. Here, this is my challenge to you. You need to go home, and you need to read the book of John. And at the end of the book of John, I want you to consider converting to Christianity. Just so I'm totally clear about my agenda. Well, I don't want anybody to be like, what does he mean? Like, open up my heart and get more faith. I want you to repent from sin and darkness and convert to Christianity, to being a Jesus follower. And I, I believe you will do that. Not everybody, but every time that's preached, some people will do it. Here, here's why, here's why, here's why. Because the power's not in the preacher. It's in, it's in the words of this book. Like, all around the world, people have read the book of John, they've gotten to the end, and they go, I believe. Not everybody, but every time I preach the gospel, not everybody gets saved. Fine, but somebody does. I believe that. Otherwise, we'd, we'd quit preaching. But, but, but that the, the believing you would have life in his name. That, I want you to go home and read the gospel of John. And if you're still curious, come back next week. Come to open church and be like, I don't want to do the talking. You do the talking. I'm going to ask some questions. You've got to answer my questions. Fine, get your questions answered. Come. Come with all doubt and skepticism. Just come to believe. Dallas Willard talks about how he uh, read the book of John. He was a Christian, but in college he read the book of John. and just talks about this story. You can read it in, uh, uh, I think it's in uh, uh, Hearing God. And uh, just talks about how he doesn't know what happened that day. He was actually in the laundry room and he's just wasting time. Well, somebody left the New Testament. He read the book of John. And he, he talks about that experience so many years later. And he says, I don't know what happened that day, but I was never the same afterward. And I think about my own life. I was three years old when I had to memorize my first Bible verse. And I probably did it for candy or whatever, you know, uh, not a real good motivation. But I'll never forget my very first Bible verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? And he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, here's the thing. I'm not three anymore. But that, that verse has been bouncing around in my life for 33 years. I want the book of John to bounce around in your life. I want it to be in you. And, and by believing, I believe that, you may just find life in his name. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, I pray for those who are in this room who are maybe uh, not convinced or not believers. And there are uh, so many things in their life that make, make everything so complicated and complex. And I pray, oh God, that little by little, you as the Messiah would begin sorting out their life. Help them, God. Encourage them. You're a good shepherd, and you didn't give up on any of your lost sheep until they were found. And I pray, God, that as they seek you, you would continue, oh God, to, to seek after them. And I pray they would read the book of John, and they would wrestle with it, and they would uh, seek after you with an honest and a searching heart. Father, for those of us in the room who are believers, I pray, oh God, you would build our faith. That we would spend time in the book of John, even this week. And that even though we have belief, you would help us in our unbelief. And that more and more we would learn to take life in your name, not in anything or anywhere else, but in you. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.